everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. I think what I love about Julie is that she takes something where I feel like I struggle with sometimes is she says like she loves parties. She loves the industry. And it is so hard to say that out loud sometimes because it feels so superficial when you say it. But her talking about it and understanding like not only are you like bringing people together, but even talking about in the corporate world, like you're creating a culture, you're creating a mini family and that requires gathering. Welcome to Hustle and Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we're two sisters who have started multiple businesses together. And yes, it's as messy as you think. We know that starting a business isn't easy. I mean, we've done it four times. And on this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we love helping small businesses succeed, whether that is through our venue consulting, speaking, team training. We love to motivate others to take that big leap. Or you could just use our misadventures to normalize the crazy that is being an entrepreneur because every entrepreneur makes mistakes. But we like to call those unsuccessful attempts around here. And we know it's just part of the process. And today we're talking just the two of us about last week's episode with Julie Novak, the CEO and co-founder of Party Slate, a photo-rich website where leading event professionals share their work and build their brand. If you haven't heard last week's episode, make sure you go give it a listen. That was fun. That was fun. I always love talking with Julie. She has such great energy. She does have good energy, but she's like just like a, it's like positive energy. It's not just like, like energizing, like you're like have an immense amount of energy. You've been around people that are just like always going, but she's just always happy. I know. She's even like that at like 1130 at night after networking for multiple days. I know. And you're just like, I'd rather talk to one more person. I know. You're like, I'm going back to my room. I know. (laughs) I thought she gave some really great advice, but I, I think what I, took away the most from her and I think is very valuable and true is that to have a business, to start a business, be an entrepreneur, you have to like believe in it yourself. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like she had a very natural like path where she's like, I had this idea and it took her like what, five years? Yeah. Five years before she started, she bought the URL. Yeah. And which is crazy. Five years of what she said was dreaming out loud. Yes. And especially with cocktails. Yeah, especially when she had a cocktail. Yes. And she's like all of her friends and family were just tired of her talking about it at that point. Yeah. Like you need to take the leap and do it. Yeah. And I wonder like how many things get stuck in that like dreaming out loud phase. Well, so there's two questions. There's two thoughts here that I was thinking about when she said it. One, like what don't I dream out loud? Because I I believe in that fully. Once you say it out in the atmosphere, it has to happen. So like what do I hold in because I don't want to dream out loud? And then – who was it that said, you have to do this? Like in our life that heard us say it enough that was like, okay, you have to do this. Like her husband, and she said it was super shocking because he was super conservative, mm-hmm. you know? So I guess those are my two, my two thoughts on it. Like made me think about it. See, I get in a lot of trouble with verbal processing, like mm-hmm. literally, like I will have like the infancy of an idea or like a feeling or whatever. And I verbally process it and then sometimes people hold me to the fire or not hold me to the fire or misconstrue what it is that I'm saying. So I do tend to, in my older age, keep things in more Mm -hmm. because when I let them out, sometimes it causes trouble or 
ends up in multiple businesses. Because I think to your second point, I feel like it was always me that was like, we have to do this. Like it Mm -hmm. was very, I was very self-motivated in like steering this ship. Like I was going to row it to the finish line. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I felt very strongly that this was something that had to play out in our life. Yeah. And I think that that is a very accurate statement. (laughs) So much so that like, even if you were to ask Sam, yeah, like, whose idea was it or who drug you along? Like everyone jokes like, Oh, Courtney did or whatever, but they're certainly like starting the business. Like when you're talking about like the venue, you're talking about planning, but I feel like there was a point in this next phase of our hustle and gather, whatever, like podcasting or whatever. It wasn't like this. Oh, we have to do it. I don't, I don't think either one of us was like the driver of that. It was just kind of like, Oh, this seems like another natural like phase of things. I remember I kept talking about it and it was, and Sam did say, he's like, I think you need this. Like, I think you need an outlet where you're like coaching or helping or consulting. It's like, you always love teaching. You always love blah, 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 whatever. And I think it was then me getting fully on board. Cause I don't think I was fully on board for it. Yeah. And I'm still not hundred percent on board with a lot of things <laughs> that we're doing, but like to be truthful, but sometimes it is that person to push because he's like, you've talked about this at like a lot, like you've talked Mm -hmm. about how you feel about this. And he's like, and you may, this is what I'm hearing you say, even though you're not outwardly saying like, I want to be a venue consultant. It's like, I'm hearing you say these things. This could be a path to like fulfilling that or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't, I firmly believe if I say something out loud, I have to do it. So I I don't say a lot of things Mm -hmm. out loud, like ever. I just keep it really, really in until it's like for sure happening. Like until I have half of it done, I'm like, oh yeah. Also, I think we've been surrounded by people a lot of our life that say they're going to do something or like, this is the next big idea or this is whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up going nowhere. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I think that it kind of feeds into that. I think anything we've done, it's because it's been slightly out of fear of someone doing it before us. And she yeah. said that. She, what did she say? She said, what if someone does this very idea? How would I feel? Yeah. And there have been a couple of times, actually related to the podcast. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like where I know what you're talking about. Like where I was like, oh my god, what is it? Like we're like we're about to launch something, or like we were about to launch it, and we had this like all secretive thing, and then other people were like, oh, this big surprise. I'm like, what if they're launching a podcast? (laughs) Like we're like two weeks too late, you know? (laughs) Happened multiple times, but it didn't actually happen that way. Yeah. It didn't. Mm-mm. We did not have our ducks in a row. I felt like we had like the podcast idea like at the infancy of podcasts, but then not the time or the bandwidth to do it. Well, yeah. So right when Megan came out with Weddings for Real, we had talked about doing a pod ta- podcast and she came out and said, oh, launched Weddings for Real. And I remember I was like, hey, I like totally excited for you. But just so you know, like we were talking about doing this and I don't actually feel like we're like copying this idea. We didn't start our podcast for three till three years later. Yeah. Like it was three years. So we got our shit together. But we had thought about it at that point. But no, I'm talking about it was the other times when I was worried someone was stealing our ideas. It was actually had nothing to do with anything. It was just my fear of it. And that yeah. and that honestly pushed me I'm like, okay, maybe I really need to try this and do this. Yeah. Because I'm fearful of someone stealing the idea. I don't know. I felt that way about the venue. Not that. I did not feel that way about I the did, venue at like, all. No one's going to steal that idea. I, I felt like, and I think it's like when, when you get a new car, right? Like for example, like when we got our Audis, I started seeing them everywhere. Like I swear to God, everybody has an Audi now, but I didn't notice them until I had an Audi. Mm -hmm. But I remember when we were like 
building the Bradford and like getting ready to open it. And there was felt like at that time, there was all these venues that were beating us to the punch by like one and two months before. Yeah. And I was like, why are all these people opening venues at this particular time? Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think it's kind of like that thing when you buy the car and you're like, yeah. maybe it was always like that. And now that I'm in the middle of it, this is what it feels like to me. But it's always like that. I mean, it, right. No, I agree with you. I think you did. We did notice it more before, but like ever since the venue, I mean, there's a new venue every three months that opens up easily. Well, yeah, but now I don't, I don't think that anymore. I'm on the other side of it. But when we were getting ready to sure, open, it felt right. that way. Yeah. Like you're stealing my thunder. Like yeah. everyone was going to be on venue yeah. pause for the like literally two plus years it took us to build it. Right. I would like to say you did not actually answer the question of what are you afraid to dream out loud? What do you have? Oh, what am that, I afraid to dream yeah, out loud? Like what haven't you said out loud that, that you're dreaming? I think that there is like some sort of like book. You want to write me. a book? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That mm -hmm. I think that there's words and thoughts. That's super bizarre. Not so that that's not what I was going to say, but I've had that thought before. But you don't like write a lot. Like you're not I write, like I write some. Yeah. I mean like in a secret place that nobody knows about. In my purse right now. So I'll I'll okay. jot things down or thoughts. But I'm very like ADD in my mm -hmm. thought process. Like I'm still very much myself when I'm writing. Like it's mm -hmm. kind of one-off thoughts. Like I and I think I I think like that. Like I mm -hmm. I'm like the best copywriter because be I'm like a great one line. I don't really know. Okay. What my book what is about? What do you about? feel like you're, but, oh, so, okay, okay. So what do you feel like your words are trying to say? Like, what is it that you're saying that like you feel like people need to know? Well, what are you I writing down in your purse? I'm <laughs> writing down my purse. The things that are happening in my life or like ahas that I happen to be mm -hmm. having. I feel like, I don't know. I think that my book is more about not motivational like Tony Robbins, but like self-belief, like wailing against the norm. Like I just hate the construct of what everyone else thinks you should be doing around you. And then how people just kind of like fall into the norm because mm -hmm. that's the norm, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just, we've been sold a false bill of goods and there's like this lack of individuality and there's all of this judgment and preconceived judgment and the way that your life should go. And I just, I don't know. I just, I rail against it. I don't think that there's any concise title or topic for my book, but I think that it's something related to that kind of living your life outside of the norm, whether that's social or your own preconceived notions of the norm, hmm. something like that. But just like giving people the freedom, because I, I, I think one of the most powerful things that you can do is to empower somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of my life's purpose in general is to empower other people whether I want to be empowering them or not. Like I find myself in situations where I need to be empowering. And even if I'm begrudgingly, I'm like, that's just kind of the role that I like to play or that I fall into in general. And I think that giving words to how, because I, I believe, I firmly believe that I am very unique, but I am also like the number, like one of very many. So if I'm feeling this way or I'm thinking this way, there's got to be lots of other people that are thinking and feeling this way that maybe don't have words for that or maybe don't feel courage to think in that direction or maybe there's just something missing and this is going to be the thing that gets them to that next step or that next hump. Mm -hmm. I have a really good friend Krista that I verbally process with a lot and one of the things that I love about our relationship is when I'm talking to her and I'm like laying out these things she's 
very concisely can put words to like what I am saying. And it's so helpful to just she even ghostwriter. I, I told her that, but she should, I literally did tell her that because she but, is an author. Yeah. Right. That she is so good at that, but it's mm-hmm. so powerful just to even to validate the way that I'm feeling with a sentence that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So to mm-hmm. be able to give that to somebody else, I think would be amazing. Yeah. I agree. What's your thing? Dreaming out loud. Well, I think it's two things. I think I've always dreamt and wanted to foster kids. I've always felt very strongly about it. I think I'm really afraid to do it. I'm afraid to do it badly. I'm afraid to give up some freedom of life. I think there's a lot of selfishness wrapped up into that, but I think it would be hard. And I think, I think being I do think being Sam would be great at it because I think Sam loves anybody and anything that comes across his path. Like, I think. I think you guys are great parents. He needs that. I mean, I just, I think we just love kids and we love people or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I've thought that. And I think the only other thing was probably not similar, but I've always wanted to get more into like a political world, but I am like terrified to do it. Yeah. There's and too many social media pictures of you out there. There's not any really bad ones. <laughs> there's probably one questionable one. Mm-hmm. That one's going to go try to find it. Um <laughs> No, I think it's more of, I'm not a perfect person. I'm so, so, so imperfect. And I don't necessarily like ascribe to like one specific group. I'm very much a middle of the road person and I can see both sides and I have a lot of grace and humanity for both sides of people, for both sides of like our political world. Um, Even though sometimes it makes me super angry, I can still see a human behind a lot of Mm -hmm. it. And I don't know if that makes it, I just think. I don't have thick enough skin for it. Like I think I would internalize too much of the attack on who I am because it's not, it's different in business. Like I can handle negative reviews, whatever, because mm-hmm. it's an attack on my business, not me personally, right? you know, and I can like separate the two. But when you get into that political world, it's who you are. It's like yeah, what your beliefs are. And yeah. And attacking views. that. Like, I don't know if I could handle it. I think you could. I don't know. Yeah. But then I don't even know what I want to do. Like, I, it's not even, I don't that, even think that I want to. That to me is like, how do you even start? I, but I don't, I don't even think I want to be like a state senator or anything like that. Like, I want to put myself behind something, an organization yeah. of some way, shape or form, and be a voice for someone who can't speak. Yeah. You know? You know what that is? I don't know. The two could be connected. I mean, your path could be through foster care. Yeah. I don't know. Those two dreams could be connected. They could you be. You haven't thought about it. No, I I hear you. And to me, like, I think there's definitely times that I feel charged. I mean, who hasn't felt charged up in the last couple of years of something? Like, I mean, if and if you haven't, then I think you need to take your pulse, right? <laughs> I mean, because you should be. And it's always like, okay, well, where do you get started? And I think about these career politicians. And I remember at some point you went to school with somebody whose boyfriend, who maybe became a husband, Went to school yeah. to be a politician. Yep, yep. And I, he is right now. And I don't agree with that. Mm. Like literally, one, it's like on one hand, I'm like, oh, well, that's the only way. Like these people are like, they know the game. They know the rules. They know the ins and outs. That's that's what a politician is, a politician, right? But then at the same time, I'm like, I have severe doubts about somebody whose sole goal is to just mm-hmm. go into politics. Mm-hmm. And they didn't go into politics because something prompted them to do it, like mm-hmm. because they wanted to make a change, which is why I think people should go into politics. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm going to make this better with my business prowess or my compassion or my ability to see this problem that's going to help humanity, mm-hmm. right? 
So it's like, I feel very conflicted about politicians in general. I know we're getting all political on here, but whatever. <laughs> Back to Julie's episode. I think what I love about Julie is that she takes something where I feel like I struggle with sometimes is she says like she loves parties. She loves the industry. And it is so hard to say that out loud sometimes because it feels so superficial when you say it. But her talking about it and understanding like not only are you like bringing people together, but even talking about in the corporate world, like you're creating a culture, you're creating a mini family. And that requires gathering that requires mm-hmm. experiencing something amazing and really cool together. And it's like, it almost gives me and empowers me to like, not be like, Oh, I work in events. Like, Oh no, I work in events. Like it's yeah. amazing, you know? But events, as you know, because we teach about them, I mean, go back as beginning of time. Right. Like all of the politics were right. ran through events. Yes. You know, swap and eating and clothes were ran through events. Like right. education was ran through events. Like right. events are as human as being human. Mm-hmm. It's like going to the bathroom and eating and breathing. People right. have to gather. Right. So, I mean, I feel like while it seems frivolous, it's actually serious the significant contribution right. to humanity. Yeah, I just thought that was. I just, I just loved that. I don't know. She just had so much joy. Yeah, I know. I, I, I love her joy in general. Yeah, and her, which just, is, I think is so like aspirational. It to is be a CEO that has that much so much joy, joy and enthusiasm I know. for what you're doing. I know because sometimes I, I all the time don't feel the joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like happy, but it's hard to feel like enthusiastic all the time and yeah. not like get bogged down by the list. Yeah. Of things. Which she talked about like a little bit. I mean, when we, she talked a little bit about like employees and mm-hmm. kind of that, you know, having a hard time and not everybody kind of fits the bill or fits mm-hmm. the mold or doesn't believe in your vision. And isn't I, on your bus. Isn't on your bus. Come up a couple times I know. Here. This bus keeps coming up. I know. The bus is apparently very important because yeah. it's not the first CEO that's talked about the bus. Maybe it's like in some kind of CEO book they talk about people on your be. bus. should figure that out. But I loved how she was talking about how when an employee is not working out and things are just dif- difficult or whatnot, that she does a walk around the block. Literally she, and figuratively like, sometimes. She walks them around the block and kind of has them come to their own, own conclusion. conclusion, which I thought sounded great. I mean, I love that. But have you ever had a situation where you've walked someone around the block and we just couldn't complete the square or the conclusion was not come to? So yes and no. I think, yes, we have. Obviously, we have the same experience. So yes, that's happened. But I also wonder if we did it right. Like, <laughs> did we walk around that. the block correctly or did we like go down one and then like turn around and keep going? Because the key I was, was, it was she said, to be quiet and we are not quiet people. I know. I know. It was like saying this statement of like, how do you feel like it's working? You seem up. unhappy. Mm-hmm. And then just be quiet. And she said that was the hardest part. It is. Sometimes I like have these out-of-body experiences when we're like in these meetings. I'm like, man, we talk so much. Like, and it's like, and we're like driving a point to the ground. Like, it's not (laughs) like you have to say the next thing you're saying, but like, it is like verbal diarrhea. Like, I can't help it. I got to say it to prove my point even further. I'm like, just shut up. Like, who cares? Yeah, I think that that should be like one of our goals for the next time we have to walk somebody our, around the block. I know. I feel, well, I feel like we should have our employees have like a bell and just be like, we get it. Uh-huh. We don't need any more. <laughs> That's right. We're done. You've beat it to the ground. Ding, ding, ding. Got it. <laughs> You're just going to open your mouth and they're going to ding the bell. This probably. Mm-hmm. Like, All right, fine. <laughs> no, but I loved that. Yeah, I thought that was great advice. Because I, I do think I, I've – Unless they're completely dense, they feel it. They're not stupid. Yeah. You didn't hire a stupid person. Like, they get it. There's only probably one person that we had to force 
around the block. It was, it was like one of our very first office managers that we hired. And she just thought she was doing this most amazing job ever. And we had performance reviews. Oh, that's true. I remember and I was person. like, and we were, we were trying to get her to come to this conclusion that this was not, you're not doing a good job. Yeah. Like you're not efficient. None of this. I don't think she came to the conclusion of it. She just found another job and realized that she can make more money doing something else. And yeah. we were like, that's Wonderful. great. I know. Wonderful. Cause you were literally about to get fired. I know. Week. I remember that. Yeah. But she was so clueless. She was just like, what? Yeah. And, and we had another employee. We'd only had two employees at that time. So the other employee was doing great. And we had to, to make it fair. We were like, we're going to do a performance review. And she's like, is everything okay? Am I doing okay? And I'm like, no, no, this is just a farce. Like, you're fine. <laughs> but I need you to just sit in this meeting and fill out this paperwork so we could have a real meeting with this person. She was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I love a little bit about her. Like, one of the things that intrigues me, and we talked about this a little bit with the Rock, Paper, Coin episode, is this idea of starting a business by pitching something mm. to venture capitalists who then give you money mm-hmm. for A series, B series, C series, whatever. And I'm like, one, how much are they getting? Like, is it in perpetuity? Is it just a certain amount of time? Like, how does it all work? Just the whole realm of that. Yeah. But what I found really interesting, which I thought I got more from Julie about this piece of yeah. it, is that she's, there's definitely like some people that automatically are like, this is a bad idea or I don't want to invest in or whatever. But really what pushed them over the edge, we maybe got that second, third, and then then finally signed was that they believed in the founding team. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that they believed in her, but they believed in the founding team. Like they believed that she had set herself up with the appropriate people and that they would be successful. And they believed more in that team than actually the product itself. Yeah. Which Um, I think is true. Which I think is super interesting. And like, and I don't know if our founding team was believable. (laughs) (laughs) Like- we didn't have like a solid team behind us. We just had this idea and we knew nothing about it. Like yeah. we knew, we knew about the events world and we always felt confident that we could like sell this thing. But when it came to like building the actual venue, like knowing how yeah. to navigate permitting and all that, all the planning department, all that stuff, like I don't think anyone would have invested in it. Well, we did not have anything snazzy or pretty. And I think about going through the permitting process now just to build a residence that we're going to live in, not that thousands of people are going to traipse through every month, which seems like it would have more like at stake if it doesn't Mm -hmm. work as to like what we submitted for permitting. Like even like we didn't have any water flow. We didn't have any like erosion control. We had Mm -hmm. this thing that you made on Adobe Illustrator that Mm -hmm. had like blocks of color where trees were going to go, where the house is going to go, how far it was going to be from the line, where the driveway was going to go. And that was it. Yep. And I'm thinking, well, that wasn't actually it. There was like literally almost a hundred pages of things we had to submit, like a whole full. Well, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like, I'm saying just in terms of like the site survey and like what they require now for a site survey or erosion control or, you know, land disturbance permitting and all of that. Like, and I think through how much we didn't know. And how, again, I think it's one of those, like, timing was, like, so on Mm -hmm. our side. It was on our side. Like, how easy that process was at that point. Yeah. And I don't know if it was because you're coming off of 2000, 2008, 2009, so there wasn't, like, a ton of building going on. Mm -hmm. Like, everything was pretty wide open for them to help you. Like, everybody's very available. I think that, but honestly, truly, I think it's because it was old farmlands. Yeah. So there was no, like, it's not like you're removing, we weren't removing, we removed no trees. Yeah. Nothing. Like we literally didn't disturb anything other than the farmlands that were there. Yeah. 
But I, I definitely don't think we had our business plan went nothing how we thought it was going to go. Oh no, not at all. We were on like template Z at the yeah. end. It was like, <laughs> oh my god, I have to redo this one more time. <laughs> yeah, but no, it would, uh, definitely. I mean, it, it's definitely different now. I think they have different perspectives of how how it should go in general. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think that they just care more now than they did then about all the little things. They care a lot. They care a lot about they lots care of a things. whole lot. But yeah, no, I definitely don't think we were believable except for to ourselves. And I feel like because we were the ones funding it, that was the most important. No, I agree. But I, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if Sam ever doubted us, but he had, he had worries. Yeah. He was worried <laughs> for sure. He was worried. I think he was more worried we weren't managing the money well, which there was, was really no money to manage. There was just right. money to spend. Yeah. But it just, I think that's what was yeah. nerve wracking is that there was no money to manage yeah. for it. And he used to get so up in arms about clients who got mad about things. Like, I was like, you just, I think for like two or three years, I never talked to him about stuff because he would just get so upset about it. He was like, tell her to get over it. I was like, you can't tell a bride to get over it. That's not how that works. (laughs) Yeah. But. I definitely think it would have been very, very different situation. Like with the stress of just building, building something, but also figuring out how to fund something would be like two very compounding things that I imagine would be a lot of stress. Yeah. But I don't think there's a lot of venues in our area that came from like a venture capitalist. Like we just know of one, but it was their family. Right. Yeah. Like their father was a venture capitalist, which is how they got the capital to build it. But like everyone else, it's just, no one's going in and investing in a, in a venue. And I'm curious, like to me, like, wouldn't that be kind of a neat next step of like, if you were, if you're like, okay, I really want to build a venue and like you go with like three or four like business like industry people yeah to build this venue like would that end well or would that end so badly it would blow up in your face I tend to think the latter because of who's running it who's like steering the ship I mean you'd have I mean you would have to like determine what that would be but yeah yeah. you'd have to trust somebody you have to trust somebody be very interesting it'd be very interesting but I think there's something very empowering to say like I have this idea Obviously, she built it out very nicely on PowerPoint <laughs> and presented it mm-hmm. and then gained her first round, she said, like $5 million. Yeah. So $5 million of money. associated with money, wanting to invest in this idea mm-hmm. that wasn't a thing yet. I know. And I find this so interesting, too, because she was talking about how like she didn't feel like there was overt sexism and... Like I was so intimidated walking into that space, maybe because she knew enough about digital marketing and background that she had, like yeah. she knew how to speak the language or whatever. Right. But I think about, you know, like, like, uh, Nora and Elizabeth, like not knowing the tech world and being like, Oh, invest in this or whatever. Like, and how I always, I, maybe it's a cynical part of me. There had to have been like an unbelievable quality or like a doc of that because they were female. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, all in all, I thought it was a really good episode. Mm-hmm. I thought so, too. Thanks, everyone, for gathering us today to talk about The Hustle. For episode with Julie, we are drinking a margarita, and we hope you get the chance to make it this week. And cheers to dreaming out loud. To learn more and connect with Julie, you can visit Party Slate on Instagram at Party Slate or visit her personal account on Instagram at Julie Party Slate. And make sure you check out the website by searching partyslate.com. To learn more about our hustles, visit us on the gram at CND Events, at the Bradford and Z, at Anthem House, and at Hustle and Gather. 
If you're interested in learning more about our speaking, training, or venue consulting, head to our website, hustleandgather.com. Also, if you love us and you love this show, we would be more than honored if you left us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Ear Fluence. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we'll talk to you next time on Hustle and Gather.